When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. I'm in here today. I always wanted to interview Paul Wall, but I never thought that when I did it that he would be with terminology. Yeah, Welcome baby. to 2022. This <laughs> yes, is crazy. Sir. What's going yes, on, sir. guys? Happy to be here, man. Happy to be here with you. Very yeah, excited yeah. to have you guys both in here, especially because me and him were from, I mean, yeah. how far is Lawrence from National New Hampshire? Probably like 30 minutes. Yeah, not even like 20. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. How, how far is uh, Houston? It's kind of, it's kind of far. <laughs> it's shit. Probably a good 24 hour yeah. drive it's or like, so. Yeah. There's like, like an invisible line that separates, like, you know, where he lives and yeah. where I live. Yeah. yeah. I, that's why I always wish that I was born like five minutes closer to Boston so I could say I'm from Massachusetts because people like New Hampshire. Right. But it's like, it's kind of like, same thing. Yeah. It's basically just like a suburb of Boston. Right, right? Right. You know, it's like 40 minutes out or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty crazy. How the fuck do you guys start working together? I got to admit, I still don't know. Through Static, shout out to Static Selective. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we, uh, of course, they've been working together for a long time. Me and Static been friends for a long time, colleagues. We just never really worked together. We work in the same environment. We'd be on shows together, things like that. But in the studio, never happened. And uh, it just was one of those things where I always wanted to work with him, and I think he always wanted to work with me as well. We just didn't have the opportunity. We got in there. Actually, I went to New York to do the uh, summer jam. And while I was out there, I was like, hey, you know, I'm out here, what's up? Me and my boy Satellite, we went to the studio, pulled up on them, and it was, we just, I just wanted to work. I just, right. I just wanted to rap on a static beat, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Shit, so it was, uh, that's what kicked it off. And then from there, it was like, every day I'm hitting static, man. Send me something else, what, is you, what else you got? And you know, while we, we did a few songs while we were out there for the, uh, for the summer jam, and then we ended up saying, okay, we got a lot of, and, and me, I'm coming to static like, look, I just want to work with you. Because right. he's dope, and every artist he works with is on another level of dope. You know, mm. so I just wanted to get into that rotation with, with all the dope artists he's working with. I don't care if they're at the level one or if they're at level 100. Right. Whatever level they're at, if they're working with you, it's nothing but dopeness. So but It's interesting because if you had told me a couple of years ago, like, yeah, Paul Wall and Terminology is an album I would be like, no. Like, they're from totally different <laughs> yeah. sonic yeah. universes. Yeah. Why the fuck would that For ever sure. overlap yeah. at all? Yeah. But, like, what was your perspective on him before you actually met him and stuff? So I'll keep it real, like, you know, always been a fan, but more like, you know, mainstream, like stuff I, I knew from like seeing him in magazines or TV. But once I got in the in, in the studio with him, I'm like, no, he could rap. Like he's mm. rapping, rapping, like he's gunning. And uh, and so that was kind of the general consensus of when he came to New York and hung out with us. We went to the Fat Buddha, had a party. Uh, he came to the lab. We had brought, brought him up to Shade 45. So like once we started kicking it with him, we was like, yo. This dude is a cold MC. Like he's he's not kind of I guess how they would portray him to be like more like a mainstream artist. He's actually like a super MC. And um so you know the, we started with the Pete Rock record, uh then we went to the collab with Bun B and like it just felt natural it just turned into a project. 
That's a beautiful thing, man. Like, cause I, I mean, do you feel like, I feel like the, the game tends to like put you in the box that you came in on. Right. So and if you step out of that. Exactly. So probably a lot of people would never have assumed that Paul Wall would even have a taste for those types of right. beats or, or people who are rapping like that, et cetera. Well, I've always had an opinion that rappers outside of like the New York area or the New York, you know, that, that area, rappers outside of there, for me from Houston, okay, just an example. For me to be, I get a lot of love in New York, mm. but my OGs before that came before me in Houston, they warned us about going to New York. Right. They would tell us, look, it's not like going to the club and doing a, a pop-up open mic type of concert. Right. When you go to New York, you got to be on your A game. Don't bullshit. You got to have respect for everything they got going. This is what it originated from. So everyone there is on another level of everything because they grew up in it from their parents grew up in it. You but know are we talking mean? about some yeah. hip-hop shit, or are we talking about, like, you're going to get beat up or robbed? Nah, boo. Nah, hip-hop. Like hip-hop. Boo, boo yeah. Oh, okay. I'm boo, talking about, so they, they, <laughs> okay. say, they say, like, look, when you go to the, and I, I understand this a lot because this is my frame in Houston where I got love for you, but I'm not going to, I don't want you thinking I'm on your dick. Mm. So I got to act like I'm too cool for you, a standoffish. But if you come talk to me and you show me love, then, oh, I'm going to let it open. Oh, man, I love you, you know. But until you do that, Nah, I'm not gonna be on your nuts. So hip-hop, I'm like, hip hop's like that for and, sure. So that's what they told me. You go to New York, they might boo you in New York. Mm. So that's what I would always expect. But I never got that. But maybe because I was warned of that, I was always on my note of let me be prepared. Let me be the best me I could be. But I always felt like for an artist like me or whatever to really get like real love and be like you know cherished in New York, you gotta fuck with mm. a New York producer. Right. So like when Ti did bring them out. Like, a lot of people from the South don't consider that one of his top ten songs. Right. But everybody I know from New York, they that's his number one song. Right. Because it's produced by Swiss Beats. So that's just an example, you know. And there's others throughout the, you know, throughout, like, Scarface. He raps sometimes, you know, on DJ Premier Beats and things like that. So he gets a different type of respect. Right. From, so I always wanted to, but when I'm on a mainstream or uh, a major label, they want me to do a certain sound. They don't want that. Right. So whatever my desires are or my, you know, personal preference or my integrity of what I want to music, I want to make, it don't matter. It's always right. what's the mo- going to sell the most. Back in the day, like 2008, I uh, went to a fucking big ass showcase in New York City. And I think the headliners were like Jada and, uh, you know, like Styles and shit like that. Or like Ghostface might have been one of the headliners or Raekwon. And then like... Waka Flocka's on the bill. But, like, before anybody knows who this is, Wiz Khalifa's on the bill, Currency, et cetera. It's, like, a really crazy bill to look back on. But OJ the Juice Man was already kind of popping, and he had, like, a big song in New York, even, like, in the hoods of New York. That was a huge song, uh, the Quarter Brick shit, you know? And then, like... And and so he comes out and performs that song. And keep in mind, like, we're, like, 45 minutes away from Raekwon taking the stage. Right, right. Oh, they booed OJ bad. Wow. The video still online. I seen it in real life, man. I wanted to wild out. I wanted to start punching people. I was, like, I was hurt because I'm, like, this is a real dude yeah. right here. And over the years, the more and more I know about OJ being around him, et cetera, it makes me even more angry because I'm, like, that might not be the hip-hop you fell in love with, but you should have some respect yeah. for it, which I yeah. think in New York is kind of, like, yeah. the number one place, though, that's not going to give you a pass in yeah. that regard. I think yeah. when we first were going to New York, what kind of um, maybe definitely helped us a lot was that we were hanging with Cameron and Jewels, Jim Jones, all mm-hmm. the time. So they would do shows. They'd bring us out to do, you know, I'd do Still Tipping or even before Sitting Sideways came out. You know, they brought us out at Summer Jam to perform. So, I'm, you know, I got a lot of uh, uh, carryover love from them. They definitely gave me a hell of a cosign, although not 
on songs musically, like just in person, you know? So a lot of their fans who, if it would have just been a Paul Wall show, they might have booed me, but mm. if it's Cameron bringing me out, okay, they got enough. They got enough respect for Cameron to not boo me. So then, okay, we're gonna give him a shot. You know. Have you actually brought Paul Wall to New England? Oh uh, nah, not yet. Mm. I can't wait. I can't wait. I want to bring him somewhere like the Middle East. You know, some wow, you know, I middle, stole it. Yeah, little okay. like five hundred people. Oh, okay. Hey, no, the Middle I East. I thought you were talking about like <laughs> Afghanistan. I'm like, <laughs> nah, wow, nah, that's nah, a totally different nah, thing. The middle East club in Boston. I've been gone too long. Yeah, I want to bring him something like that. So you know, for the people that don't know, that's like a little small five hundred person venue, and it's kind of like how you seen Eight Mile. You know, it's real. It's rough. Everybody in the ah, you know, saying battle battle style, like underground hip hop style. I want to bring him there. So I think. I brought Bun B there. Uh, we brought Mob Deep, the Locks, you know, many, many people there. But I think that's that's the next stop. We got to yeah, bring yeah. them home. Right, definitely. Yeah, so for the people who don't 100% know, can you give a little bit of the background of who terminology is and how you even came to be who you are now? Because your, your career at this point, what, is like at least 15, 20 years yeah. in, right? I've been rapping like my whole life since a little kid. And, um, you know, basically uh, started uh, battle rapping and shit like that in Boston oh. when I was younger. Uh, kind of eight mile style. You just roll up to a club, you put your name in a hat, and uh, whoever wins the battle goes home with $500, whatever, you know. So I started with that. And then, you know, that turned into me making demos. And uh, I got a record deal when I was in high school. I got signed, uh, put out my first vinyl, went on my first tour when I was in high school, and uh, graduated high school in 2002. So basically, like, you know. Same. So yeah, we're so exactly the same year. Exact, That's scary. And, and, Paul, and Paul's the same age as us, too. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's, it's I graduated in 98. For the record, I skipped the grade of high school. Shout out to me. Oh, yeah, and I stayed back. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I say that to say, uh, you know, I just I just kept going with it. Uh, DJ Premier, you know, was was my first big co-sign, and um, you know, went on tour with Red and Meth, sixty day tour right off the rip. So I learned how to perform from some of the greatest mm. uh, hip hop producers there, uh, performers that you can learn from. And um, you know, going on tour with Premier, going on tour with with Red and Meth. Uh, you know, just kind of helped me get in the game and some other people like Bun B and M.O.P., uh, you know, a lot of hip-hop legends co-signed me and, and, and helped me along with Static Selector, of course, my brother. So, you know, it's just been a ride. It's kind of crazy because, like, you know, be, being out in L.A. now, it's like it's so about where you're from. Yeah. And, like, you know, on the East Coast, same thing, too. If, like, in, in terms of, like, New York is, like, the center of hip-hop and if you're from the Bronx or you're from Brooklyn or whatever, they get it. And as soon as you're like, yeah, I'm from Boston, it's kind of like, there's just like way, and for me it's even worse because I'm from fucking 40 minutes outside Boston. Yeah. But did you always yeah. kind of feel like you were an underdog because of where you were from? Because Boston doesn't have as thick a, a legacy of artists as somewhere like New York or yeah, Philly. absolutely. And even, you know, taking it a further step than that, like Boston at least had commercial success with Ed OG, with, with, with Made Men and, uh, and uh, with even Marky Mark, you know what I'm saying? Mm. With uh, Guru from Gangstar, origin originally uh, being from Boston. So Boston had somewhat success, but I'm from Lawrence. Mm. So I, so that was even worse because they're like, you're not from Boston. Right. You know what I mean? You're looked at as like you're from a city outside of Boston. So uh, yeah. pretty much my whole career, you know, I've been forcing people to 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 you know, show respect to my city and understand that that Lawrence is, you know, is a force to be reckoned with. I did the BET Cypher with French Montana and, uh, you know, Lawrence, Massachusetts at the BET Cypher. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when I got unsigned hype in the source, back when that mattered, when I, uh, when I was in XXL, all that stuff, it was like I made sure that it said Lawrence, Massachusetts so I could, like, really put my city on the map. It's good that we have a fucking pioneer like Paul Wall here, too, because he remembers the era in which to be a mainstream rapper from Texas seemed impossible. 
possible, right? Oh my yeah. god, yeah, definitely. Because Texas being so far outside of the mainstream. A lot of people didn't even know the culture of Texas. They assumed we all rode horses to work. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or, and they didn't understand the slang at all. Right. So whatever we talk about, even though it will be, you know, highly lyrical, it was a foreign language. So the lyricism with the bars would go over people's heads, and they just be, oh, they're just bullshit. They don't, they're not rapping. But it'd be a lot of similes, a lot of metaphors, a lot of making up and creating your own slang. Uh, you know, and it just definitely we we that's how we formed our bubble of support where we would support our own. Mm -hmm. But even then, you know, growing up in Houston, it was a screwed up city. So screwed up click ran it. So me coming from the Swisher house, I didn't get no love in Houston, period. No love at all. I had to go to Dallas where I got major love. Dallas, Austin, wow. San Antonio, all the cities outside of Houston. In Texas, we got our own like little chitlin circuit where you could go all through Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, the surrounding areas, and uh, really do that for life and have a, a hell of a career doing it because there's so many cities there that will come out. And if you, you you can't just show up and expect them to show up, you gotta go you know be out there and see the people and let them see you. You gotta put in the work, the actual legwork, or even the social media legwork, whatever you gotta do to, to put in that work. If you put it in, they'll they'll come support you. So we would just do that and you know get our own support i would get that so much that eventually it trickled down to houston people from dallas would come to college in houston or you know whatever they'd come down there and they'd be showing me love and finally eventually i got houston was showing me now it's of course i get of course i get love in houston now uh but it, it's always interesting to me to see when i think how it happened and explaining it to new artists from wherever they're from mm. and i see this with artists Every city, it's, very, it's hard to get love in your own city. There are artists that come and completely take, like Sauce Walker, when he came, when he came out of Houston, the whole city of Houston embraced him like on another level. I was just thinking of him as an example of an entrepreneur from Texas that hasn't, it's not like people don't listen to him outside of Texas, but for sure that's where a huge percentage of his right. fan base is and it seems like he's doing super well for himself. Right. So there are people like that will, out the gate will get the love, but he even had to forge his own way. And, you know, at first people weren't giving him nothing and he, you know, him and uh, Sancho, their whole clique had to forge their own way to create their own sound and the youth took hold of it and it became an old versus new kind of thing mm. you know where the old people don't like it and, you know and the new people don't like the old people all this and that but you know of course they just kept on with and at the end of the day sauce walker is a go-getter making his own music making his own style grinding with it the old people and i don't mean old rappers i just mean like the older generation of people you know in houston mm. you know eventually now it's, it's nothing but love it's the same so it's the same story even though he got initially got love First, it took a while for him to really get the the, the whole city to embrace you. And it's, it's like that everywhere. But I remember when you first came out and I'm seeing you and Slim Thug and everybody. And, you know, we're listening to G-Unit, The Locks, shit like that. You know, I'm thinking, like, I fuck with this. Like, this is dope. But also, this seems so anti-hip-hop in a way because it's so slowed down. Yeah, yeah. The lyrics are, like, kind of intentionally not complicated, you right. know. But also, at the same time, I'm listening to Dipset and I'm hearing Jewel's sort of like use the same rhyming word four times yeah. in a verse and like, yeah. you know, shit like that where I'm, I'm kind of like realizing like, oh, there's a lot of people who have different takes on rap. Like this shit is not every fucking person has to be mega lyrical. But do you, do yeah. you remember having a little bit of that experience yeah. with, with a lot of that stuff that was coming out? Yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't say that like we hated it or anything. I would just say it was just like so different to us because we're used to boom bap. Right. You know, New York is, is is home of boom bap, so it was like 
wait, we got we got to get used to this sound. This is a whole another sound. And then I think where where the part where you're saying where it kind of seemed like people was hating on it was because it was commercial. Mm. So that was kind of it was like, yo, this is mainstream. It's like fuck all mainstream rap. It wasn't like fuck right. Texas. It's right. fuck all mainstream rap. Right. And, and 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 Paul even feels like that now. That, that's how I felt. It was it was like a <laughs> conundrum for me being yeah. successful because. I'm anti underground, so I hate anything underground. I grew up. That's how I grew up. So really? especially, in, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm tripping. I'm sorry. Yeah, anything, anything mainstream. So I, you know, when I'm growing up in the underground, anything mainstream that's successful, I hate it. Mm. I can't even. You know, it, it takes for them to kind of fall off and then or, or stuff to happen, and now I can go back and appreciate those type of things. Because but what at the be time, I hated what could in be mainstream. less mainstream than DJ Screw, right? And right. this whole aesthetic, yeah, right. you know, like you thought you were doing the most counterculture right. thing you could right. possibly do. When we, when we listened to the radio in Houston, it was a program, it was Clear Channel, so it was a lot of West Coast style of music right. on the radio. When we watch TVs, Yo! MTV raps, is BT, even before The Basement and all that, Rap City, okay, it's mostly East Coast rap. So we didn't really get an outlet or, or, or platform to listen to Southern rap until DJ Screw created that avenue. And now this is where we can hear all Southern rap, but specifically Texas rap. Because when I back then I, I hear New York rappers talk, I wouldn't understand some of their slang because we don't speak the same slang. So we don't know what they, I wouldn't even know what they talking about in half the stuff, you know, or even the locations. They talking about streets or certain <laughs> hoods. We don't, we don't know that. I, we didn't grow up there. So right. to hear artists on screw tapes talk about hoods I know, streets I know, <laughs> you know, people, you know, street legends that I know or I've heard of, you know, you, you hear that, it's more of a representation. You see, like, okay, this is what we, t and growing up in Texas too. You're taught a great sense of Texas pride. You exactly, support Texas. Yeah. You know, you always support Texas. Anything's te you just taught that throughout school. In sixth grade, they start teaching Texas history, and it's just you know on Texas being its own republic before it came to America. So you, you're, it's embedded in you when you grow up in Texas to support Texas. So when Screw, they got Screw tapes, and it's Texas rappers rapping about Texas. It was okay. This is. You know, we represent it now. We that we went in, we represent that with pride. Them screw tapes, and then you get to hear screw also dibble and dabble and putting you know some hip hop on there like New York style or some West Coast hip hop on there, and you get to experience. But but okay. I'm all about the underground. This is the interesting thing though. You blew up by being like unapologetically Texas as fuck, but that's kind of always the question for people like from a place like Boston is like do you embrace and try to like make your own style or sound of your city or are you like nah like shit is popping off in new york so i'm gonna get yeah. on more of this style of thing like d did you ever feel like you kind of wanted to hide the fact you're from boston or or, or just like not emphasize it because it might hold you back or not be relatable to the audience yeah I, I wouldn't say hide it i just think that boston is so close to new york that we have the same sound it's it's four hours away you could be you know what I'm saying you uh you could be let's say for instance Buffalo right right the, the Griselda guys they sound like they're from New York City <laughs> right and and they six hours away so if we four hours away it's gonna sound the same so we kind of had like the same sound uh it was like a lot of the same production and the same style but um I would say this though getting back to what he was saying about when we first started going to New York sometimes man when the beginning shows like when I was younger they be like, give it up for terminology from Boston. And it'd be a crowd full of like 500 people that never heard of me. Boo. They, they never boo. They'll just <laughs> oh, okay. do this. Right. You got to make them. You got to. So I, So what I did was I'd be like, yo, I'm terminology. Boom, boom, I'm about to spit something for y'all. I'd start with the acapella. Right. So they see, oh, no, he got skills. Fuck where's he from? He got skills. And for people who don't understand the context, too, keep in mind that like you could wear a Yankees hat into a lot of bars in Boston and 
maybe not get your ass beat these days, but yeah. at the very least, nah, people are going to... It was beef. Yeah, people are looking at you like you're a fucking weirdo. And if you were at Boston High in New York, it's it's less tense, but it's definitely like... Nah, it's the same thing. What is that? Yeah. It was it was bad. Like, yo, it was crazy because when I moved to New York, Static moved in 04, and okay. I moved in 07. He Just, used to live down the block from me in Brooklyn. Did I? Oh, that's No, him. Oh, I used to see him at the Popeyes on fucking Metropolitan yeah. or whatever okay. it was. Yeah, Myrtle. Yeah. Myrtle. Exactly. So we were on Broadway and Myrtle for 10 years, mm -hmm. right? That that was kind of like our new our new block. You right. know what I'm saying? Now we moved over to, to Bushwick, like more down. But anyway, when we first moved out there, we were in the Bronx. So we lived in the same apartment. So Static, I lived on the fifth floor. He lived on the first. So we moved out there in 04. He moved, and I moved to 07. When did the Red Sox win the World Series? Mm. 04 and 07. So we'd be walking around. With, they'd be extra mad, bro. Extra mad. Because I moved to New York in 04, so I remember that you fucking remember energy. You what I'm saying, yeah, dog. Sure, yeah. So even though you were saying, like, it's not that tense, it kind of was pretty bad in 04. Cause we still had to take the train. We, we didn't have money yet, right. so we'd be on the train with the Boston hat. People be like, looking at you like, "What the fuck are you wearing that shit out here for right now? You yeah. bugging?" So yeah, it, it was a thing, but uh, but yeah, man, it's it's cool. Over the years, I think the internet made it kind of like everybody's from everywhere. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I know a lot of people who are from one or the other, and it's like you almost couldn't even tell at this point because it's yeah. just like that. But yeah, the internet is like that. It's just sort of brought cultures together but if i were to ask you back in the day in 2003 or some shit if i were to have asked you what you thought of like dj premier beats and like the mm. the, the whole mm. east coast sound would that have been totally foreign to you or did you already have a taste for that it depends as if you would have asked me about dj premier oh i said i loved it first okay. of all we knew we knew from the jump that he was you know was from houston prairie view and went to new york so we always right. had a sense of man he made it man he made it you know and for him to be respected so deeply respected in hip-hop you know what I'm saying? It just is like, man, of course, I definitely premiere. I was a huge fan of. Mm. Other people specifically, some of it was like not quite my cup of tea. Some of it I did like. I like Wu-Tang, definitely like Wu-Tang a lot. Uh, Genius was my favorite Jizzle. Uh, you know. Um, Damn, uh, the Genius? Yeah, yeah. Damn, you know, that's like, crazy. You know, I, I like, you know, a few others. You know what I'm saying? Definitely, I don't want to say who I liked and didn't because I don't want to. <laughs> but, you know, definitely like, you know, Liquid Swords was my favorite right Liquid there. Liquid Swords was crazy, yeah. But I remember you telling me that you on your first album you wanted you wanted to work with with the Swiss and the Kanye's. Yeah. Well, I didn't get a chance to on, on my first album mostly because they wanted me, because my first mainstream album, The People's Champ, they wanted to present me as kind of a certain way with a certain style. So they didn't definitely want a, a, a primo beat, you know right, what I'm saying, yeah. on there. They wanted whatever. Even then, they didn't really, I didn't really have a lot of mainstream producers on there. You know, it was mostly just, you know, the Houston producers that I was messing with or, or, or fucking with. So uh, that's, that's the style. That's what I'm saying. Well, when I, I when I got to come out, I always wanted to rap on a DJ Premier beat or a Static Selector beat, but I don't get an opportunity to. So when I finally get an opportunity to now, it's like, shit, I'm going in, you know. Because when I was younger, I remember it felt like the, the Paul Wall superstar machine was in full effect for a few years there. And then I don't know if it was your choice or if it was the label or what, but it felt like you kind of took a step back from the spotlight and were maybe like, I don't know if I want to be this character that they're trying to push me out here as. Well, you know, I always appreciated the opportunity I had to be on a, a major label. And I think about this and, you know, I see other artists who come and kind of, you know, when their contracts are up, what happens? You know, they do they continue with the label? Do I go, go to another label? A lot of artists too, once you get to the mainstream, you you kind of uh, feed off of being on a major label. So you, you need that, you know? I came from the underground, so 
even to be on a major label at all period was like, man, this is unbelievable because mm -hmm. it didn't happen where you came. Lil Flip showed us that it could happen, right. but you know, from Lil Flip to us, it was a five five year hiatus. So when Flip came, we're thinking, oh, maybe we all get a, a shot to to go. You know what I'm saying? But we didn't. They didn't give us. They thought it was. A, they looked at it as a, like a, a one time kind of thing. But then when you know, still tipping kind of kicked it off for us, and we all got that opportunity. It was we all kind of. Thought because we came from the, we, we're doing math in our head we're doing the numbers we knew more of the business of the recoupment and this and that so every album I ever put out I'm day one I'm recouping I'm paying out my pocket for things not the label because I don't want to have to owe you know a bunch of money and it, you know it takes five years before I can start making profit now I'm pay, I'm gonna pay like I weigh because that's in Texas that's the way you do it you right. independently do it yourself you put up your own money somebody else don't put up the money for you which is kind of normal now but very rare at the time right right so that was that was our way so we always knew that us going on a major label we're giving them a big chunk a big piece of our pie and are we gonna do this forever or are we just doing this to leverage us on a you know a national or global you know scene, and then we go back to where we where our heart is on the underground, and we all basically did it. Slim Thug, myself, some people kind of stopped making music, like Chameleon, he stopped making music, but you know what I'm saying he transitioned into the tech world, and he making more money now than you know any any of us made off of music. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then some others like Bun B, you know, always continue to do it. So you know, it's it's Mike Jones also he's still putting out music. Zero, of course, puts out music on a regular all the time. So it's always you know, that was always our, our like, look, we're not going to let nobody sucker us. If we're, we're getting something out of this, for sure we're going to do it. We right. get opportunities to be globally recognized or them to have that machine. And instead of us doing it independent and we pay here and there, and it add, it might add up to 50000 or or 100000 but we're paying it here and there, here and there. Right. Whereas on a major label, they're putting millions up. You know, that's definitely a bigger machine that we want to take advantage of. But at the same time, you know, they control the sound. They control what is the single. You can say, and I tell this to artists all the time, younger artists, look, when you go in there with your chest out and, yeah, this the one, this the one, you might be right. Mm. But sometimes it's cool to be wrong because if you right and you going at them and they fighting, nah, they want single B and you want single A. Right. And it's cool to let them be wrong because if you go too hard, yeah, I'm right. Well, they going to find a way to, nah, we're going to make well, you wrong. So when you were at the, on the charts and shit like this and doing the major label thing, did you feel like you were almost kind of taking a pay cut compared to how you could be doing independently? Well, you know, it's versus getting 100% yourself, you know, and doing it small right. or getting, you know, 20% or 15% and it's major. So, you know, definitely, I, you know, check to check, I was making more money on the mainstream. Yeah. But they're getting such a bigger percentage. But I'm thinking long term as an artist, who do I want to be? I want to be Willie Nelson. Well, you're, you're 80 years old out here. You, you, you're doing touring, making music with your family, still putting out albums out. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, hip hop is still relatively young. You don't see grandpas out there on the road or people like that. Now it's different. So I can, you know, now I can see who I want to pattern myself off of as a, a lifelong career artist. You know, of course, you know, I, I would like to do other things. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm making money on other things. But my heart, my passion is in making music. So I wanna, I'm intending on making music till I'm 80 years old or until I can't re record no more. Right. So I'm, who can I pattern myself off of? Other musicians who do that, what do they do? How do they, you know, do one thing or another? And you see their, like, true Hollywood stories of, you know, their careers. And you see, you know, like uh, uh, Stevie Wonder, he's 30 years old. And then, then he starts having his major hits that we know him for. Before he was 30, he had a whole career that 
I don't. I didn't even really know a lot of that music. I know his music after he was thirty. But then when I see the True Hollywood Story and I realize, oh, he was thirty, and I'm thinking, oh, damn, I'm thirty now. Even I'm forty-one now. But at the time, I'm seeing it like, damn, I'm thirty now. His hits came after he was thirty. Well, damn. Okay, well, I got to get to work. Okay, and you know, hip hop will have a way to uh, feeling like if you're not mainstream, you fell off. Yeah. And you, you know, or, or if I don't see you every day, you fell off. But we come from, you know, where you making money, you might show it, you you flex a little bit, but you'll never know how much money I really got because right. it ain't for you to know. You know what I'm saying? It's for me to have fun with and do our thing with. It, it's kind of crazy to think about too. Like when when I think of you, it's like Paul Wall, the icon, the fucking legend, the the you know, you're such a superstar, et cetera. But how much of that is? the label having like pushed you into the mainstream so much that you know that level of fame that they can get you you know 30 years of grinding in the underground might not get you that a lot a lot of the people who are the most famous in the underground realistically at one point had a huge major label push that made everybody fucking know about them that's what they're good for that's why we couldn't we're not going to turn down this opportunity right you know what i'm saying we especially we're all about networking so you get the opportunity to network on another level with another machine we just adding to our independent rolodex right so and that was like for us it was always the goal we're gonna shit we do our underground hey we get a shot to go mainstream is because they always was coming at us with fuck deals but we like man mm-hmm. if, if they come with something respectable then okay and when they end up coming to us with our deal we end up jay prince actually co-signed a lot of the shit to make to like enforce them like look don't fuck over my guys you know these are my guys don't fuck them over you know what i'm saying like he, he had that powerful of a voice back then as well he, yeah he was uh he had his rap a lot of course oh definitely definitely mm-hmm. had that he had that probably he, his uh whole rap a lot machine was also tied in with asylum with who, who me and Mike Jones was on with Swisher House, uh, so you know he had a had a whole part of that. But for sure, he was actually his deal. He he told him, "Hey, I'm not doing my deal unless y'all sign them too." You know, he basically made them sign us where they wanted to sign us, but now they kind of had to sign them. Wow. So I mean, he always had that type of where he, even behind the scenes, you know, and we don't know that at the time. We don't know that till later and right. until they tell us, man, you know, really the only reason why we really signed y'all is because <laughs> we was trying to sign. He made made him sign us because he believed in us. He knew what was going on. So he definitely had that, man. Jay Prince, shout out Jay Prince, man. He, from the whole time, even though we going from city to city to city, he not with us going city to city, but he there, right. you know what I'm saying? And so he got people worldwide that, oh, hey, I'm with Jay Prince. Oh, that's what's up, man. You know, so they always there, you know what I'm saying? Just introducing us to this person, that person, or just build, helping us build our network. And, uh, you know, so he always been there. Who's the Jay Prince us. of Boston? Man, I don't know if there is one. <laughs> Boston is really, like, independent. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like a, it's godfather. No man's it's not like a godfather of, of, of Maybe Boston. Maybe that's what it's missing. Yeah. More you, fear. You know what I mean? The More godfather. Hierarchy. There's not like a godfather out there. Everybody just kind of do their own thing. Yeah. That's weird. I wonder, yeah. But can we say that about New York too? Like who's the godfather in New York? I mean, Man. there's kind of a lot, but then like, is anybody really like... I think there's like, know. you know, the big homie role that Jay, Jay Prince plays. I, I don't think I've ever seen that in any market. Mm. I don't think there's any ever been such an influential person uh, like Jay Prince. From to my, I'm not from Texas, but I know a lot of people and I've heard a lot of stories in... Um, you know, I follow him on the gram. I, I listen to everything he has to say. He's a, a very intelligent person. I just never seen it. I never seen a you know an OG like that. Mm. What do you think about uh, like like? Do you feel with what you're doing in your career and everything? Do you feel like you're very much like trying to do this for Boston, or is it more just for yourself? Like do, like, do you feel like that's something you want to accomplish in your career? Is really helping to put Boston on the map further, the Boston nah, area? No, nah, I think um, I think when I was 21, that was kind of the idea. Mm. Uh, maybe even 25, you know what I'm saying? But now it's like, 
Yo, if you if you know me, you know me. If not, cool. You know, I have my own niche. It's right. like uh, the underground supports the underground. And um, there's going to be people all over that don't know mainstream. So, you know, now Massachusetts got mainstream artists. We got Jordan Lucas. We got uh, Bia. We got, you know, Millie's is making a lot of noise. So it's like where, where um, rappers are finally getting a shot to be mainstream from our hood. I don't got to be that guy. I've never been a mainstream guy. I'm an underground guy. Mm. So I'm okay with, with carrying on the legacy of Gangstar and, and, and stuff like that. But did that. you ever think about sort of compromising that in a way? Like, did you ever have a time where yeah. you were like, I'm going to try to really make some commercial shit so that people, you know, maybe be able yeah. to tap into the rest of my shit? See, think about it. You know, you said, did you think about it? Yeah, thought about it, but not act on it. Mm. Like, for when I first started getting, um, you know, major labels were interested in signing me. So I went to every label. They all told me the same thing. Yo, we love you. You're great. We're going to sign you. Then they don't call you back. Mm. You know, because at the end of the day, it was like, how are we going to market this kid? Like, mm. he's he's making boom bap music. Right now, Daddy Yankee's the hottest thing smoking, but he doesn't do reggaeton. But he's Puerto Rican, but he's not fa like he's not famous. And, like, the only famous Puerto Rican is, like, Fat Joe. You ever think about doing a reggaeton heel turn? <laughs> I, I don't necessarily, you know, uh, make reggaeton or, or, or what even thinking about it. You could have signed to Nori. He could have ushered you in. Yeah, Nori. You would have been breaded up. No right. question yeah, right if there, I, bro. If I was next to Nori at the right time, <laughs> yeah. I might have had a reggaeton hit. You wow. know what I'm saying? But uh, What could have been? I think, that, I think that, to be honest, man, I think that underground hip-hop is so important for the rest of hip-hop, uh, including mainstream, because we're where it starts. So I think, you know... The universe wanted me to stay right here and mm. be important and be an ambassador the same way my brother Static Selector has been. You know what I'm saying? We're like carrying on that tradition of making that style of music. Because mm. we get money no matter what. We've been getting money right. forever. So it's not like we broke. It's not like we're not legends in the underground. But mainstream success is kind of something that we've strayed away from. Maybe because we just never got it or maybe because we didn't really want to sell out. Right. But what... What really brought you guys together, like, sonically, or made, made you want to work on, like, so much music together? Like, this one thing to fuck with each other and be friends and do a couple songs, but you guys seem to have formed more of a relationship. It was organic. It was natural yeah. from the jump, man. Mm -hmm. from, the, from the first song we did together, you know, we vibed together personally, like you said, first. Uh, and, you know, there's been people I made some, you know, some pretty big songs with that I don't vibe with personally, mm -hmm. you know, and you, I, I feel no, no, shit, definitely not. De shout out Nelly, man. Shout out Nelly. Don't hate, nah, man. I love Nelly, man. My boy. Nah, but uh, but you know, some of these type of people, it's like, man, I don't never want to work with them again. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, and and I hear that. It, and there's been people I've met where I don't really fuck with them, and then I meet them, and I okay, yeah, they cool, and then I start hearing their music, and it's like, okay, yeah, I fuck with their music. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but with terminology, it was different because <laughs> I knew who he was. I respected definitely him as a uh, MC, a lyricist, all of that. You know, this, the other his accomplishments, and of course, in the underground. So I knew for sure we do something, it's gonna be dope. I knew it's gonna be dope. But it just kind of we had a little cohesiveness where I don't know. I got to. They definitely brought something out of me. One, the static beats, and then him being my partner. This, you know, iron sharpening iron. You know what I'm saying? So if it would have been me and somebody whack it might not have been you know it might not have brought that out of me but mm -hmm. the static beats for sure took me somewhere where it's like okay it's so easy for these ver these verses was just flowing i'm, t I'm 15 minutes i'm boom yeah. done it's man it's something about sparring with another dope mc yeah too like like paul's no slouch like if you listen to his album give thanks yo he's wilding on that shit the whole thing and then that was kind of like 
the the birth of like that him doing the boom bap style and this is kind of like the part two to that but that's when i really took notice to it i'm like yo he's he's really wilding on these bars so i kind of took it upon myself to show new york city underground like yo listen to paul wall right like this is not the mainstream paul wall that you might have heard this is this new and improved 2022 paul wall and he's wilding you know what i'm saying like and i I love it i all the um the youtube comments the instagram they're like yo but paul wall raps like that they're really excited for him and And i'm excited to see him get his his flowers you know and it it ain't and i really didn't you know it's not like i'm Switching it up too much, you know, I'm like, you know, still Paul Wall, you know what I'm saying? But it's a, just a different Paul Wall, you know? And uh, I remember going to Sweden and uh, my boy Chubby out there, he, you know, is, he only likes boom bap, mm. you know? And he, he brought me out there for a couple shows here and there. And he's all about only boom bap. So even though he he got love for me, he like, yeah, you cool. But until you boom bap it out, you ain't, man, you ain't, come on, you got to boom bap. This is what it's all about. So that kind of really in me, that sparked. And this was like, you know, about 10 years ago where even before that, I always wanted to, you know, do it. But that's what really sparked. And it, it, it became clear to me that it was like, you know what? I, I I do need to rap on some boom bad beats because it's gonna bring something different, a different element out of me that I might not even uh, knew I had in me. And it, it doing this allowed me to showcase because if it's just a, a regular Paul Wall album, I put it out and it's a boom bap album like this, this type of style. My traditional Paul Wall fans, some of them are gonna be like, man, it's they're gonna like it because it's Paul Wall, but they also gonna be surprised because it's not the traditional beats I'm used to rapping on. But the, so that, the question is, does he? rap slower to match you or do you rap faster to match him that's what we've been getting yeah. asked. every every interview they <laughs> oh, ask really? it, it, it might be a combination of the two but i don't think it's either of that because he's coming with his style and i'm coming with my style i definitely yeah. stepped it up on here you know what i'm saying and I, for sure i think give thanks my the greatest album i ever put out out of all my album i think that's the best one uh and you know and this is this right up there with it you know this is because it's basically the same same thing so you know i think it's definitely one of my better albums that i've ever put out you know what i'm saying uh you know and it's me on there but you definitely gonna hear a little little lyrical you're gonna be surprised a little bit maybe and i'm here now i got to showcase it with toby newigway when I, uh, I did a song juice with him shout out to toby he's from uh, another houston artist although he doesn't really you know uh he he's gone be far beyond just being a Houston artist, but he's also from Houston. I just meant to say we did a song together, and I I went off on there, and that kind of that was one of the ones where everybody like, damn, I ain't never heard you rap like that, you know. And then it kind of it, it kind of get my my like H Town fan base yeah. primed up, ready for it. Then when they hear this, they're like, okay, shit, that's what's up. They keep saying that. They keep saying I never heard him rap like this. You know what I mean? But uh, to answer your question, I'm pretty at home on the static beats. That's my brother. Mm-hmm. I knew him since we were 16. So, you know, we came You know at, what to do with it. I came to, I'm at, I'm at my speed mm-hmm. on the static beat, you know? So I didn't really have to slow it down. And uh, I think I think Paul just went with the beat. It's not like he had to speed it up. It's, if the beat give you the, the rapid fire flow, then that's what you're gonna do. Right. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, are you a Griselda fan? Oh, hell yeah. Do you feel like they've done a lot to kind of push a, a, they more, a lot. more classical sound into the mainstream? They helped yeah. a lot, bro, because, you know, I was there when nobody knew who Griselda was. They helped a lot because it was like a time where vinyl was dead in music from like 2012 to 2016. Mm. Vinyl fell off and we thought we was never going to see it again. And uh, right around the time when like Griselda came out, like vinyl started booming again. 
and uh, they were like charging a lot for their vinyl. Is that a moneymaker for you? It is. Yeah, it we is. sold out. Oh. Our vinyl, you know, our vinyl sold out. We got the CD still left. You know, link in the bio. But yeah, I always hear about like bands doing and stuff, but I haven't heard. Yeah. I, haven't, I don't think I've talked to any rappers who've done the vinyl thing. But that's oh, really yeah. interesting. I always thought about doing yeah. it for some like classic you releases should. and shit. I did three vinyl just this year. I did. I did one called uh, Goya right. for three. I did one called 360 with my eyeball. Took a picture of my actual eyeball, and the vinyl come out, and it's an eyeball. Do you think people are buying it just for the collector's item, or you think yes. they're scratching it and playing it? Man, ain't nobody playing this. <laughs> it's like maybe 10% of the people are playing for it. For the people who do scratch and shit, it must be really cool, but yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people really do that these even, days. Even, even the best DJs in the world, DJ Premier, Funk Flex, you know, Static, even the best DJs are using Serato. Mm. Ain't nobody using no vinyl. Like, they might play it for the nostalgia, because it does yeah. have like a nice sound to it, Yeah. but it's really, they just want us to sign it. They just want to put it put on the shelf and be like, yo, I got that Paul Wall terminology vinyl, like. Anything you can sell to the fans these days is good because, like, even your most hardcore fan a lot of times will really just listen to your shit on fucking Apple Music, and they're not really giving you that much money yeah, by doing that, really, which is, really nothing. it's really different than the old days where you're selling CDs out the yeah. trunk, and you're literally making 10 bucks off of each person, yeah, and, like, what? they're really supporting you. Like, that That seems like such a distant, like, fantasy of how nice life used yeah. to be back in the day, right? You should see the DMs, right? And, um, and, and, yo, I love everybody who streams my music, right? That's the new wave. Like, mm. you need, you need the streaming, but you should see the DMs. Dudes will, uh, dudes will just like uh, download it on Apple Music and be like, yo, look, bro, I'm supporting you. Mm. And it's like, yes, you yeah. are, but I don't think they understand. Like, like that's yeah. like me walking up in here and putting a penny here and going, yo, listen, one thirteenth of this penny is yours. I'm supporting you, bro. But when they download it or when they purchase it? No, I'm talking they... Apple Music. You just download oh, it. Oh, yeah, because you, you can't even purchase this shit anymore? It, you could purchase you it, can. but you got to jump through hoops. Right. It, yeah, yeah, it leads you to Apple Music. They don't want you buying yeah. shit. <laughs> they want you streaming, right? You know the vibes, you know, yeah. but it's okay. I, I appreciate every single stream. It, it's not the consumer's fault. They don't know the difference between paying the $10 for the CD or giving you the 113th of a penny. They don't mm. know the difference. So I appreciate every one of them, but what I do try to do is educate them. If I'm having a real conversation, I'd be like, yo, do you really want to support the artist? Buy the vinyl. Mm. Go buy the show ticket. You know what I mean? That's that's more of a support than, you know. You got to give them those options because, yeah, these days being a rapper independently, it's just like you you, you got to do the whole thing. Yeah. Like you have to have figure out a whole bunch of different fucking revenue streams. Facts. And you got to make it so that the, the person who wants to spend a couple hundred dollars a year on buying shit from you has the option, the option too you know first. a lot of rappers don't even ever yeah. really give people that option once you figure that out you golden yeah and this you know for the up-and-coming rappers once you figure out how to make money like you know as being a, a soundcloud rapper or being like an independent rapper that goes directly to a tune core or whatever you know you use once you figure out that you can sell stuff directly to your fan base mm. you don't even need a lot of fans you need like 1,000 fans if you get 1,000 fans to give you ten dollars you just made $10,000, and you could do that in a day if you let people know your release is coming, mm. stuff like that. So I just, that's something that, you know, we've been doing in the underground since the beginning of time, like, since we started, 05, 06. For sure. Do you feel like when you're making music, is it, do you feel like it's, it, like, does that even really scratch the surface of the money, your money situation? Because I assume when you're selling grills and doing all this other kind of shit, <coughs> that putting out music is probably not really all that big of a business compared to that or well from the very beginning music was my heart my love my right. passion so it was never a thought that i could you know f make money off of it michael watts showed me how i could by selling mixtapes you know by building up you know he had the machine him and og ron c the swisher house 
of this, you know, the, 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 I was just a little small piece that came in there and they showed me how it worked. They showed me how to turn my love and my hobby of music DJing, because uh, I was DJing, I, I thought I was gonna be a DJ. That was my goal. My dream job was to be a DJ on the radio station in Houston on 97.9 The Box. Right. So, and when I was 17, I, I was, my start was to be an intern. But they had just changed the rule. You had to be over 21 or something to be an intern. I'm like, oh fuck! I thought that was. I thought my career was over. Like, oh man, that's it. It's, it's over for me. Because mm. there were no rappers that came out. You know that were that I knew from my neighborhood. That were professionals that have been doing this as a career. Well, this is their job. But I saw DJs. So I said, and I and I really enjoyed playing music that I loved. Not what you know. Cause what I heard on the radio wasn't what I liked. I don't like that type of music. So when I DJed, I'm playing. My music that I like, not not Paul Wall music, my music, but I mean my music that I listen to, that's what I would play when I DJ. So that was my goal. But when, when they allowed me to give me that opportunity, I was already rapping, but when they let me freestyle and rap on the Swisher House tapes and showed me the business side of it, it was like, okay, this is how you can make money. And I would see artists sometimes go lean in direct, and, it, and it's, okay, this is the thing too. When you sign to a label, they sign you because they want to make money. Mm. They there to make money. So their number one priority is not, if you're a good father, it's not if you're a good husband, it's not if you're cool in your community and you take you give back to your community, it's not if you uplifting people. They care if you're making money. So and they, making money from the music, from not like the other the revenue other, right. streams that you might be building at the same time that they have no involvement in. It, it, the music and the merch. Exactly. So, you know, they're always going to lean a certain way. They're going to pick certain songs. They're going to want you to make certain music that they can market a certain way that will maximize your potential, mm. which that's the business model of it. Okay, well, I'm from the art side of it. So where does the art and the commerce meet? Well, I don't go too far on the commerce where I'm a sellout, where I still got my integrity, okay? So that's always when you're making the music, especially on any label, they're going to want something that they can push, promote. So they don't care that I want to make this. They want to make certain things that they can push and maximize whatever whatever you got going on. If it's love songs, I, I hate, man, I hate female-centric rap like love songs <laughs> i hate love rap songs wow, i'm so glad we agree on oh that. oh my god so <laughs> no, that's not for me when they my biggest song is oh girl i mean i, I performed that maybe five times my whole life really? show. i'm never man i hate that song but it's my biggest song i ever made you know i do perform busybody which is a you know female centric kind of song but it's you know with a mouse beat and it's with webby so it's a different type of feel you know what i'm saying but i you know they want me to make that kind of music. I don't want to make that kind of music. And yeah. I'm, you know, so any artist, you know, when you sign to any label, they try, it's always some type of give and take of how can they make the most money off of you, you know? So I, I from, the, from the very beginning, it was always, uh, what is most important to me? At the end of the day, what's most important to me is I'm a good father, good husband. I make my mama proud. I make my ancestors proud. I make my future ancestors proud. Right. You know what I'm saying? Whatever that's called. Uh, you know, so what can I do? Not, uh, you know, if I make a, a certain music and it's charted or it's sold this or that. Because you see these type of people, they not always the best parent. Right. Or the best husband or the best community member. You know, these people, a lot of times they have hard lives because they give so much to it. Sometimes, man, man, hip-hop for sure will break your heart. The music industry will break your heart and tear it in half. So if you don't know that going into it and you're thinking all these people have your best interests at heart, they, they have your best financial interests that benefit them at heart. You know what I'm saying? It's rare that you have people that – that's why I always from the jump, I stick with the same people. My boy Goo, my boy T. Ferris, and our friends from the hood where, you know, we – look – 
I don't want somebody that's, you know, yeah, I want somebody that's going, you know, know what they're talking about, but I don't want somebody who's only there because I'm hot now. I want somebody who cares about me, right. who, you know, we came up together so I can trust you around my wife. I can trust you with my money or any of my personal information. And you see people always getting screwed over and you see this and that. It's, man, it's very hard to find people that you can trust. So to me, that was always important, these type of things. So it's like, okay, how can we make money without losing our musical integrity or art integrity, whatever it's called, you know, for our passion for what we love? Because it means something to me to go back to my, my hood and for them to still listen to my music and for me to not be a sellout, you know what I'm saying? That means something to me. So, you know, so it always was on my mind, how can you make, so being a hustler, I had jewelry, so I'm selling grills with my boy Johnny Dang, or we got different clothing lines we doing, or we got different, you know, cannabis companies, or this, you know, we got so much stuff involved, and it's, and for me also, it's always important that when I'm doing my other, you know, side ventures, it's not powwow grills, mm. powwow weed, powwow this and that, right, because if powwow ain't popular with a popular song right now then that means the power weed ain't nobody smoking that that's the yeah. best thing i ever did with this shit is that i named it no jumper instead of like adam 22's podcast because now we have all these different people doing content under the one roof and it like allows it to be way right. bigger than me right exactly so we we seen that we can as long as we can you know and that was just how I was, my boy omar used to always tell me man you got to have a, a different hustle for every season mm. same way you put on clothes when it's hot, you put on some shorts or some slides or something, T-shirt. When it's cold, you put on a jacket. If it's half and half, you might, you know, whatever, put on a long sleeve like I got my Be Someone shirt on. So, you know, whatever, you know, it's just, it's just all, all about having a different hustle for every season. If only you stick with only one revenue, one hustle, whatever, your whole livelihood is going to be tied to that. But if you can have different hustles and you can whatever, then, okay, I can make the music I want to make. That's why we just self-release because, mm. we, you know, of course we lose the aspect of having – the machine behind you and sometimes you know to have some success you need somebody who has the vision where i have i have, we have a bias of what we like because there might be certain songs we talk about where we talk about something personal where this is my favorite song because it means something to me because what i'm saying in there is just such so personal that i'm sharing that that i love this song but you might not give a fuck about that you might like a different song because uh my ad libs or something but do you guys bother to like pay pr companies and shit at this point in your career to like help get you out to a bigger audience is that part of the game at this point for sure because you know we we have our own connections of people we know but still you need somebody to organize and set it up and you know we could do it ourselves or we reach out to these people but we want we try to you know we're trying to be professional you right. know what i'm saying we so this our career for for sure we gotta yeah we got for sure we've got to pay I the would say i would say that, that that that's true what he said but i would say that in this era where you can put out so much music i think you pick and choose which ones you want the PR to handle. Right. So, you know, if we're going to drop, you know, 10 mixtapes this year because the music's done and uh, we can put it right to streaming, then you don't, you might not have to do a press run for each and every project to get all the projects out. But I do believe in definitely uh, publicists and handling it the right way for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a weird era we live in where you guys have Instagram and YouTube and shit. And if you post about your new project 10, 20 times on your Instagrams, yeah, your fans are going to know. Yeah. But that's your fans. Like, how do you get out to more people yeah. these days, especially when they're, nobody looks at fucking blogs, you know, right. even something like World Star just isn't what it is and what it used to be. You can go to media outlets like this and shit like that. That's definitely a good way to get out there. But it's just very complicated. Like, you have a, hey. a direct access to your hardcore fans, but to everybody else, it's kind of hard to get to them these days. People yeah. have a, a, a misconception that just because somebody knows it's out, 
that is bringing in revenue or that is even successful and you making a profit off of it. Sometimes right. they put so much money into the promotion of a project that you don't even recoup that. You ain't make you right. n- might never make no money off of that project. Right. So and also you know with Instagram or whatever, it's it's man. Look, I I have a huge Facebook following. Mm. Okay, but typically. I look at it like this. You know, there's different roads. There's different ways to get there. You know what I'm saying? We, and we can take any path or we can take all paths, you know. So I kind of go down every path a little bit, TikTok, Facebook, every social media. But, you know, they're different. Twitter's different than TikTok, than Instagram or Facebook. It's different type of people on each one. So to me, I don't make too much money off of my Instagram. I make my money off of Facebook. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot of my peers they not even on facebook right and, and it's like hey you ain't got to go that way but you can and those are the people I, we realize if we promote our shows on instagram then okay the way the algorithms work people follow me on instagram from all over the world yeah. so if i got a show in toledo ohio then what difference does it make if you know about it here? It doesn't matter if you have a million yeah. followers. If right. you post the flyer for the show, you're going to get like 50 likes, and then the algorithm is going to be like, nope, nobody right. else right. is seeing this and, shit. And, and it's not people <laughs> in that particular city that's seeing it. But now on Facebook, we can say, okay, we got a show coming up in Biloxi, Mississippi, or somewhere, wherever, you know, and, you know, let's promote, let's target just these specific whatever age group we want that, you know, why would we be promoting it to 18 and under if you gotta be 21 to get in? Mm. You see what I'm saying? So this the, these type of things you can market a lot easier to tap into on Facebook where it benefit me. But I do still post on Instagram. That's for to get people to know. So we do something, we got something going on. Of course I gotta post it on Instagram so people on Instagram will know, oh, you're doing this and that. But they don't necessarily translate into sales or streams or dollars right. when I post. And, and, you, and TikTok, you can, TikTok also, but it's different. You gotta, and a lot of people get frustrated when they're not seeing the, the income result that they want, but they see the, the fame, mm. uh, you know, that they want. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do I translate this to dollars? You got to sell a product. Yeah, like I have a, a co-host on this podcast, Lil House Phone, who, you know, he raps. His rap shit is not huge, and he co-hosts on this podcast, but he sells like $300 shoes. He right. has a brand, so $300 shoes. He can do a drop of a bunch of shoes and make a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right. And it's like he doesn't really have to sell that many shoes right. when or, they're or you're make selling. money off rap because he's making money off Exactly. The so yeah. he can, you know, like like if you could find one good product that people are willing to pay a significant yeah. amount of money for. I mean, think about Netflix, one of the biggest companies in the world, just because they got a million people, yeah, way yeah. more than a million people paying them ten dollars a month, right. you know? Well, it's like the ultimate know, thing. You know, just to shout out the Good Dad Gang, that's a brand that I started. I wanted to bring that up, yeah. yes, because I like this so, logo. So with the Good Dad Gang, right, I started this this brand seven years ago. And basically what we do is we inspire, uh, you know, dads to be present in their kid's life, make an effort, you know, just be a good dad, just be proud and um, be a good parent overall. But, you know, we were kind of talking about, like, the, the hustle of it. It's like I didn't start this to get money, but now that we're here, it's like, bro, People all over the world have this tattoo. There's like 100 people in this world that I know of that have the tattoo. Those people are like life, <laughs> lifelong, you know, fans of the brand. They're lifelong supporters. So every time, okay, we got a sneaker dropping for Father's Day, yeah, I'm getting a sneaker. Or we got a, uh, a diamond collab dropping, I'm getting a diamond joint. Oh, you know, I, I got a, uh, I'm going to Disneyland with my kids, I'm going to go buy me a hat and a shirt. So it's like... You know, the money is being made through that, too, without me having to do anything. It's, you're making money while you sleep once you get your company going right. from the ground up. It's that's that's means a lot more to me now at this point in my life because I got a one-and-a-half-year-old, and, a half year old and right. I never really, like, thought about what it meant to be a good dad that much until yeah. recently. Yeah. And now I see people in the news or on social media all the time where I'm like, 
kind of horrified by yeah. what kind of like lack of parenting <laughs> is normalized it's at horrible, times. Bro. Yeah, and, and we need it. We need the good dad gang. Uh, you know, and it's been able to help a lot of people, right? A lot of the homies come home from jail, and um, you know, for whatever reason, they don't even check on their kids. They can't check on their kids. Uh, you know, they. That's they, part of it too. They, a lot of dads are being kept from their kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the system is put in place like that. You know, for whatever reason. So. There's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of dads out there that that are not good dads and and they didn't put in that work and and you know they're just deadbeat dads and then there's a lot of dads that are really good dads that want to be in the kid's life but for whatever reason they can't be so you know we speak for everybody you know the the good dad gang is is not like a, a mom bashing thing like we we support mothers and we actually sell most of our sales come from mothers they're like yo you know I see the sales come through it's women like yo. Thank you so much. I wanted to buy one for my dad. He's such a good dad. Thank you so much I want for making this brand. You know, dads don't get enough support, and my husband is a great dad. And so most of our customers are actually women, but, you know, obviously the, the, the people wearing the clothes is dads. So it's dope, though. We've, uh, like, Jamie Foxx hit my phone, you know, FaceTime, you know, really? Zoom, all that. Like, how can I help? I want to help. And this was just last year. Wow. So, you know, he posted on his Instagram and wore the clothes. Ludacris, you know, Charlemagne, a uh, lot of celebrities, whenever they find out about Good Dad Gang, they're like, wow, I really like that. Like, that's needed. And do you sell these, or is this just like a single custom pair? So this specific sneaker is dropping uh, in May for this year's 2022 Father's Day. This is a Patrick Ewing Good Dad Gang collab, so you can see the logo. That's me and my daughter right there. You think there. Patrick Ewing is a good dad? Uh, man, I don't know. He's a basketball player, I, so I assume so. Yeah, I don't know, but I heard he is. Right. I heard he is, because that was part of the deal. Like, <laughs> they said uh, they said that, uh, you know, he was a good dad and he was a family uh, family. If man. he wasn't, we would probably know. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, and, 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 and the funny thing is, we did a commercial last year for Father's Day, me and DJ Premier. We did a good dad gang star. Ooh. Gang star meets good dad gang. We did a commercial. So he reached out. He got Ice-T. He got LL Cool J. He got 2 Chains. He got Logic. He got all these dope dads. And I asked him about one specific dad. And I said, yo, can you get can you get this dude in there? Like, he's like, he's not a good dad. Like, And I, and <laughs> oh, I, really, I, really, I really respected that about him. He wasn't wow. trying to chase for the clout. He was like, nah, he's not a good dad. So he can't be in this commercial. And I, start, <sighs> I thought that was so real, you know? You can't be false claiming good, good dad yeah, gang. Nah, I don't know. Yeah. You got to really be about that life if you wear this brand. How old are your kids now? My uh, son about to turn 16. My daughter, she's 14. How are they dealing with the pressures of being Paul Wall's children? I think they deal with it great. Um, of course, they internalize a lot of it, so they might not share it all with me. But I try to communicate a lot with them you know, uh, about who I am or, you know, why people, this or that, you know, it's, hey, they don't, they don't, but there are other celebrities kind of that they go to school with here and there, you know what I'm saying? Or, they probably or have, know a bunch of your friends who are famous, so it's not it, that yeah. strange. It was, uh, it was definitely kind of weird and strange because, you know, when they first start going to school, the teachers know who I am. You know, the parents know who I am, but the students don't. You know, kindergarten, they don't, don't know about rappers. You ever have a teacher pass a mixtape to the kid? <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually, actually. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah man. Uh, but then, <laughs> then, you know, as they get older now, you know, when they get kind of get to middle school, especially coming from the Texas underground and that culture, it's like, okay, we come from an area where their parents grew up listening to us. So, right. you know, when they kind of come of age to start listening to really hip-hop and looking up their own hip-hop, that's when they like, Oh man, your your dad Paul Wall, and so then especially when they get to high school, even though it's you know it's different generations, so they might the high school kids might necessarily not listen to me, but they still might 
see me as, oh, he can put me on. So I'm definitely getting, there's other students always coming to me talking about trying to let me, get me to put them on or this or that. So it's a, a little awkward, but you know, they deal with, they deal with the, you know, the fakeness of some people wanting to be friends with them because yeah. they famous or mm -hmm. they rich or this or that, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, one time I went to jail and it was on the news and they got to they gotta deal with everything they say about me that way or this way, you know? It, so I, I, I'm very aware of the things I do, how it affects them and I try to communicate with them to try to, you know, encourage them to be be them. Don't feel like they got to be a baby me or this or that. Be them. You know, be yourself, whoever, you know, whoever you are, be that. And, you know, understand all of this. It's a lot to grasp as a, 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 as a child. But, I mean, I definitely think they do very well with it, you know, handling it. I have a funny story. So I stayed in Austin in, like, 2009 for a couple months, right? Like, me and a bunch of the BMX homies at the time were just, like, out filming every day and shit. And uh, I had this girl that I was chilling with who was from Texas. And we were all talking about Paul Wall at some point. You know, I don't know what we were saying. But apparently we were making you out to be a pretty big deal because this girl <laughs> feels the need to be like... I can't believe that you guys are all acting like Paul Wall is such a big deal. Like, he, he was my neighbor growing up. I used to see him mowing the lawn with no shirt on and shit. And I'm just like, what a lame fucking name drop that you saw him mowing the lawn. Like, I'm not allowed to be a fan of somebody who mows the lawn. So he's not a good hey. rapper because he mows the lawn? But, but she was just trying to do that Texas cool kid card of just yeah. like, I seen him mow his lawn, so he's not that big a deal. I'm like, get you, the fuck. Let you, me have this. Well, first, I kind of grew up in that where, you know, if you're local, it's like a some right. people hate you because you're local and some people love you because you're local. <laughs> yeah. I loved anything that was local, you know what I'm saying? But right. there were always people that shitted on it because it was local. But then also, there are a lot of Paul Nile stories. That's what we call Paul Nile. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Fake balls. Yeah, you know, and this is something I always give me. I remember one time, okay, this was, uh, I probably was like, I don't know, 22 years old, 23 years old. And I seen somebody. And one of my homeboys said he knew this girl who swear I smashed her. That she got she got this story that me and her fuck. And, and I'm like, nah, I ain't I ain't mess with this girl. I don't know. At this time, I'd only slept with one girl or something. You know, I, whatever age I was, I'd only mess with one girl like that. So I knew this girl was lying, but she swearing she was swearing it. Paul, I fuck Paul, I fuck Paul, this and that. And then I meet the girl, and she's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you probably, I'm like, yeah, you look different. I'm like, what you mean I look different? She said, yeah, don't you remember we had sex in the back of your truck? And I'm like, I, a truck? I ain't never had no truck. <laughs> truck. She's like, yeah, it was a pickup truck. So somebody claiming to be me, you oh, know what I'm saying? So that's it. So that might have been a pile now. And then there's a lot of times where people swear they grew up with me too, where they're like, you know, I meet somebody's aunt or uncle and they'd be like, man, you don't remember us? And I'm like, nah, where y'all? When we from over here, this then, man, I ain't never lived. Where y'all? I never even right. been there. What you talking about? But that's the pile now. <laughs> but also, I mean, you, you met a lot of people at this point in your life, right? Cause yeah. I had people in my hometown come up to me, being like, "We went to high school together," and I'm just like, "Okay, like yeah. maybe." You never said what was what's up. Yeah. In high school, you never said. Or what's even up. if we knew each other, bro, like I've been doing a lot of shit over these years. Not to mention smoking a lot of weed and doing yeah. a lot of other drugs. So I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. a lot. A lot of information has been wiped yeah. clean yeah. from the slate. And then you talking about somebody you went to school with ten years ago, 15, 20, The hairstyle, everything's different. They probably put on weight, gained yeah. weight, lost yeah. weight, gained That's it again. Too. You know, changed, cut their beard, dyed it, got different clothes on. So you know exactly. When I'm thinking about high school, I'm thinking the same clothes I right. saw you wear. How you looking? You, you know what's nothing. crazy though? You know how you just said like somebody you know might have. Been pretending to be you, like I don't know if y'all seen that. There's, like, there's, there's a fake Khaled, there's a fake Drake. I mean, I these people the look Drake. just like, yeah, look yeah. just like yeah. get the same kind of, you know. I hung out with the fake Drake. It was freaky. Get out of here. Yeah, like it, I, at moments it kind of like weirded me out. Like but I felt girl, like I was, was looking girl, at was the Drake. Was the girls on him though? No. 
Uh, <laughs> There's not a lot of girls here, but you know, <laughs> Did he, think was he talking like Drake too? Uh, that's like the weird part is his voice is different, but he is from Toronto, so he does kind of have some similar voice things about it. Yeah, so weird. Shit was weird. Um, fuck. Okay, what else is going on? You guys, you guys on Team Will or Team Chris? I'm on this man. I'm glad you brought that up, bro. Look, man, my blame is on the Oscars. This is the same blame I have for when Kanye went up on stage with Taylor Swift at the MTV Awards. Where was the security at? Look, man, I'm saying I know they certain people. Look, ain't no way they let me walk up on stage. Right. So what if, if it's and they, and they can't say, oh, we thought it was part of the show. Either it's part of the show or it's not. If it's not part, if it's part of the show, you need to know it's part of the show. You security. You need to know it's part of the show. They walking up there. They're going to do this. If it's not part of the show, there need to be some type of protocol. I'm talking about as many years as many awards. They don't have no protocol. If somebody walk up on stage. Because every rap show you've been to with 500 people there, 1,000 people there, happen. that would not, but it, it's yeah. their security standard right there. Exactly. Stopped, like, Yo, you can't. Exactly. Exactly. And that's at these rinky-dink-ass rap shows yeah. with and, 500 people. And they say, oh, we can't have security because it's intimate and it's, you know, a certain level of, uh, you know, camaraderie amongst the actors. They're supposed to protocol this and that. Yeah, but where the security at to prevent this? Because at any time, somebody could come up and they'd be fucked up, drunk, high, anything, right. and just wild out for whatever reason. At any time, somebody could get up there with a political view that they won and somebody in the audience got a opposite political view and they like fuck it and they using this moment to go up and do something. I'm talking about this. Y'all ain't got no security protocol. So my blame, I'm not on Team Chris. I mean, I feel a certain way about Chris. Where I, I like how he handled it. I feel a certain way about Will Smith. You know, I, I do. I, I applaud him standing up for his wife. Although I don't, you know, I'm like, damn, I, I don't think this was the right way or the right time. But that's not me to judge. But I, my blame is on the security. Where was the security at, man? They ain't got no security protocol. Shit, I, man, they better, they better come up with it. That was a long walk look, up there to Chris they, Rock. They say, they, they say, oh, we can't have uh, Look, I done thought about this a lot, man. I thought about this a lot, man. Look, they got they, they, they say that we can't have security because it, it interrupt. They want to have the intimate look where it's just actors and it's just whatever. But now, nah, fuck that. Where the security? What if somebody really, really did something like serious? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm surprised that they don't got no security protocol like, at all. Remember, they, remember they, uh, somebody snuffed uh, Dr. Dre when you at the Vibe Awards? Mm -hmm. It's like, how does that happen, bro? How do, you know? How does somebody run up on Dr. Dre? Like, how? Like, where? Where's the security? Do you think they would have learned by now? That's wild. Shit is crazy. Yeah. So they, I know they mad. They trying Wait, to. But y'all, but y'all think it's real? Y'all think it's one hundred percent real? I think so. I mean, at this point. You think it's real? I feel like it's pretty like compelling. Real? It look. I mean, the reactions look real, but we also talking about incredible actors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, I don't know, you know, I, yeah, I think it's real. I'm on the fence. I feel like it's real, but then I'm kind of like not for sure that it's real. Paul Wall, there, there was a tweet that we uh, discussed on this podcast a couple, well, about a year ago, and uh, I just wanted you to read this and let me know what you think of it. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. Uh, <laughs> I've seen this. I'll read it. I want to know what it was about the social climate that made Bubba Sparks and Paul Wall acceptable <coughs> back in the day, LOL. Because that shit would not fly in 2021, LOL. Yeah. I couldn't believe it when I read that because I was like, I feel like Paul Wall is one person who was always so cool and so obviously just a down-ass participant in the culture that I felt like I never really heard Paul Wall get the shit that you've heard an Eminem get. Right. With all respect to Eminem, he went through it. I never really yeah. saw Paul Wall having to go through that gauntlet. Paul Wall, the people's champ, yeah, man. people's champ, baby. <laughs> man. I mean, I definitely have my criticism over the years here and there, but, you know, I mean, shit. 
man, I, I always try to group myself in with the Texas artists. So I don't really get compared to Bubba Sparks, you know what I'm saying, to us. So that, for me, when I saw it, I was like, well, of course, you're only saying that because we both white. But, mm. you know, to me, it's like, shit, I, I wasn't grouped in with the white rappers. I was grouped in with the Texas rappers, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So and, and that's what I always aspired to be. And then, then too, I, you know, coming up on the Switch House tapes, maybe they didn't know what my race was when you hear it. It's slowed down, this and that. Or a lot of times, actually, when uh, me and Kamina, you know, rapping on the Switch House tapes, they knowing it, okay, they might find out, okay, one on white. A lot of people thought Kamina versus was my verse because he had, mm -hmm. like, more of a, a proper delivery where, you know, he, where he pronunciated his words was a little bit different. So, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I, I didn't really ever get too much shit for being white or that type of stuff. But I do remember one time in Florida, we were in Pensacola, Florida, uh, me Shout my, out Pensacola. Yeah, man. We were at, uh, 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 what was it called? Star 69 Roy Jones Jr. Uh, Club. I think it was called something like that. And uh, uh, me and my boy Lou Hawk, rest in peace, we were performing. I was performing. Me and Camille and were performing. And uh, I was at the bar, me and my boy Lou Hawk. I seen somebody next to me say something to his homeboy. Say, man, when Paul Wall coming on stage? That's the only reason why I'm here, man. I'm, I'm tired of this bullshit. I'm ready to go, man. When Paul Wall coming on stage? And I tap him. I say, what's up, man? I'm about to go on stage in like 15 minutes. And he looked at me like he was about to slap the shit out of me. Like, man, what the fuck you doing talking to me? <coughs> and I could, and I'm like, I could see that he was looking at me crazy. And I was just like, yeah, I'm about to go on in like 15 minutes. All right, I see. Then I was like, man, what's up with him, man? Shit. Then I performed and I seen him afterwards. And he said, damn, this whole time I ain't know you was white. Cause he he said, man, look, I hate white people. Cause where he <laughs> where he lived, that's how he was raised. You know, he was like, man, I hate white people, but you my favorite rapper, and I never knew you was white, so I don't wow. know how to feel. Like that's why when I seen you at the bar, I'm like, who is this white boy coming talking to me? Wow, shit, you I, forced him <laughs> to confront his own prejudices. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so shout out to Pensacola. Imagine a world before social media. Before you, you fucking Google you know, the guy's imagine name. Imagine a world. I'm pretty sure that. Google was out for the entirety of Paul Wall's career, yeah. but you know, well, even me, man, I always wanted to be myself, be true to who I am. That's what my mom. Mom always told me that's what I was always taught be you be yourself you know what I'm saying so some people believe it I believe that you know to be myself so I always been myself so some people like it don't like it I'm a you know I'm the same me and Camille live a few houses down from each other so we're not too different you know what I'm saying Speaking of Camille now we have a host on here this dude Duno who's a Mexican kid from around here he's 22 and he was doing a podcast with an older uh, comedian and the comedian mentions that he did a song with Camille and Duno says, who's that? Should we discipline him for this? Uh, I don't know. He's kind of of a different generation or age. Different coast, yeah, different age. Yeah, so, so I, I kind of still feel like we yeah. need to beat the shit out of him for it, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Comedian. He's definitely had a hell of a musical career. Legend. Uh, you know, he went platinum. He won a Grammy. You know, oh, my God. He, he, man, shit, for him to win a Grammy for Houston hip-hop, man, that was, that was huge for us, man. Yeah. That was, you know, the funny thing was, we were nominated with Grills up against Riding Dirty. Mm. So in my mind, I'm thinking neither one of us going to win because some people going to vote, some people going to vote, it's going to split the votes, and then somebody else might win, you know. So, but he, man, I'm, congratulations. I'm glad he won. You know, I, of course, I wish I would have won, but, right. you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm so happy for him to win because it's just, a, a, man, a testament to his talent and hard work. Right. But, you know, he's not, man, he's a businessman first and foremost, you mm. know what I'm saying? So when he he's not going to do a deal where he's letting somebody else get money that he feel like is his money, mm. you know? And he's not going to pay you to do something that he can do. Right. That's just how he is. He's a businessman. He's a hard, he's a very strategic businessman. So with music, you got to let them eat. 
you know he's kind of doing all this tech shit and everything exactly right? so when, as soon as man he, like i say he's a businessman so as soon as you start making money in tech he's like what the fuck i need to make money doing music for i'm making way more money doing this Do you so. guys aspire to like develop revenue streams that are outside of the culture and of music because like yeah. when you see something like that it is kind of inspiring to think of fuck course. he went completely outside of the box that he came up in absolutely like absolutely. you know in a perfect world bro it's like you got money coming in from everywhere you got real estate money you got you know cryptocurrency money you mm. got merchandising Paul Wall selling yeah. jewelry uh, we, we're doing yeah. TV shows we're doing sync licensing we're selling vinyl we're doing live shows <laughs> that satellite supply, we got that buzz satellite in a perfect world it's just money coming from everywhere you but know what I mean the, the fact that we got revenue streams from elsewhere allows us to put our heart into the music <laughs> not our financial mind we right. don't got our financial hat on when we make the music we got we, so we got to be true to the essence of the art mm. so as long as we true to it you know that's gonna fuel all the other revenue streams and as long as we true to the art our fans gonna like it sometimes we might have something that might be a little hit here or there or it might catch on tiktok or something might pop because you know somebody on there end up going viral or something you know so it might get a little bit more leverage than somebody as long as we staying true to it we all about having a career in this it's not like uh you know saying uh, you know we're not doing this temporary and i see some artists talk about y'all seen young thug say you know he didn't you know he don't see himself rapping when he's 45 50 years old mm. and man when he 45 50 if he still got a passion for making music i'm sure he he gonna change his mind i heard a lot of rappers say that over the years that kept rapping their asses off until they were old and gray but look at snoop bro Do, wouldn't we all aspire to be snoop? right well, right exactly snoop is cool as shit. exactly he, he cooler than you and, and you half his age so it's like come on bro that's snoop dog like mm. to me I, like i like to give game to the young cats right i give a lot of game to the young cats so they always ask me different questions and they always have like a lot of misconceptions and i try to lead them in the right direction of like yo listen man aspire to be people that are gonna last in this shit. right like, that's kind of the advice i try to give them could you see yourself doing a Corona commercial like Snoop? Like, yeah. I, I was watching yeah, a football yeah. game. I seen him doing like all these deals and yeah. shit. I'm like, yeah. holy fuck, Snoop is like f a different type of celebrity Mark, at Mark this yeah. point. Yeah. This like, shit's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing you could say too, everything Snoop got is true to Snoop. You know Gosh. what I'm saying? Like, man, so, and you know, if he got his name behind it, it's gonna be some good shit. He, he was don't... throwing up gang signs at the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's I mean, a goat. He's a goat. That's yeah, a big deal. Definitely the goat, man. Shout out to Snoop. Yeah, that was definitely a conversation. Um, are you trying to get him in the grill game or what? For sure, man. We need yeah. to set up a uh, we need to set up a jewelry store in Lawrence. Right. <laughs> Let's get it, man. I just need my own. Grill. Coming soon. We gonna set it off with the turn grill yeah. first, and then we go from there. Uh, definitely. You think I'm fucking up by not wearing jewelry? Uh, no, nah, I mean everybody got their own style. You, you think know, it what would improve my life though. I feel like in a way wearing jewelry like makes people pay so much more attention to you that it's kind of like well, a better decision to do it i'll say this you know of course you got people that love you and you got people that hate you so you weren't putting jewelry on that kind of incite them to oh maybe make a move with this and that don't mean it's gonna work out in their favor but still it kind of sometimes if it might attract them because they just waiting for something to throw them off the edge to give them that encouragement to try but i would say this too having a jewelry store I have seen a lot of people come in there and they Clark Kent. They put on that jury and then they Superman. Mm. And it, it brings out something different in certain people. And when I seen people when they lose it for whatever reason, financially go broke, go to jail, you know, whatever. L actually lose it, you know what I'm saying? Well, their jury, whatever, get robbed, whatever. However they lose their jury, they come back in there, it's Clark Kent. And then all of a sudden they get their jury game back up, then they Superman. So some people, the jury really do bring something out of them or make them feel a certain way to put their chest out to feel maybe give them the confidence they need you know what i'm saying but just if it's if it's you get out man you know i used to be a lot more into jewelry in my younger days as i got older it's like 
man, I got, I done had a thousand chains. So it's like, man, sometimes I do get inspired to, man, you know what? I got a new idea. Something I never seen somebody do. That's the only time I really get inspired on any type of jewelry to personally wear is if it's something I haven't seen somebody else do. But other than that, it's like, man, shit, I personally, man, I got a, a thousand grills, a thousand chains. You know, it's like, man, I only wear, I got to, I don't even care no more. I got to have Johnny tell me, hey, man, put on a couple chains. I'm like, I don't give a fuck, man, shit. Are you ever selling somebody some jewelry and thinking like, Damn, this dude's a bitch. Somebody's gonna take this shit. Like uh, this, this shit is gonna be gone. <laughs> it's funny because yeah, something you know, uh, when you're friends with the uh, the 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 robber and the victim, it's kind of <laughs> it puts yourself in a weird position. And then people always come trying to sell me some stolen jewelry too. Oh, it's wow. like, look, man, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. get in the middle of none of this, man. You ever shit. had the cops? show up being oh, like all the time man really? yeah all the time at the jewelry store so if, if we do have people come sell us jewelry but when you sell it you got to give your license all this and that, that it's like you know punk they really, we really got to get your information and yeah. even then sometimes you know you kind of run it and see if it's something like a rolex then like you know you can check to see if it's yeah, one stolen you know, if it's a, yeah some things like that if it's really high in jewelry you know you're gonna check the because if they if it comes out that we bought it from somebody stolen and the police find out, oh, that's stolen. It's now evidence. We lose our money. You're we fucked. we yeah. fucked. So we got to do our due diligence to make sure that this ain't stolen. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You know, that, that's some real shit because my Uncle Nelson got murdered, right? He got murdered. My father's little brother, he got stabbed to death. And the person who stabbed him took his chain and they went to the pawn shop and they pawned it. It's like, bro, come on, this camera's in there. So that's how yeah. they caught his murder. Wow. Yeah. He, he, you know, he waited in the house, dude came in, stabbed him to death, whatever, and then he pawned the chain. And so it's, it's just so crazy. It's like, bro, that, that's wild. Like, Sad. Yeah. Well, rest in peace to my Uncle Nelson. Yeah, but it's just, I'm saying that's how deep it is. With like where, where he was saying the serial numbers behind stuff, these cameras, you got to give you a license to sell the stuff. So it's kind of like weird. I wonder like when people... You know, rob these these big items. It's like, where do you sell it? You sell it on the black market, on the streets. I mean, there's been a bunch of high profile cases in Beverly Hills where people would be coming through to like high end restaurants and just putting a gun to somebody and yeah. taking their like quarter million dollar watch off their wrist. Where do shit. you sell it? Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. If my uncle had a little five hundred dollar chain on, right, and the dude got caught, where are you selling a, a quarter milli? Patek? Because yeah, you know? I mean, if you wait a couple years, maybe yeah. the heat is off, but. Also, like, there's a quarter billion dollar watch. There's probably not that many of them. Right, that's what I'm saying. So there's got to be serial yeah. numbers. I don't know the ins and outs card. of it, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be easy to get rid of it. And the person who's going to do that, what are the chances that they're going to wait a couple years yeah, right. to do they're something? They're obviously desperate if they're pulling out guns in the, in the, in the store. This reminds me of... I'm uh, sure you've seen it all. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this reminds me, though, back in the days, uh, you know, the, the swangers, the, the Texan Wire Wheels, the 84s we ride on, back in the days um, when it was before Texan Wire Wheels, Texan Wire was a wheel company that came and, uh, and, and basically uh, uh, modernized the 84 rims we ride on. So mm -hmm. they make them bigger, longer, more sturdier, you know, so I had a Texan wire wheel. But before a Texan wire wheel, they, the wheels were made by Krager. And they would come apart. You know, they would clack. They, you know, there was only a, a few certain sets. It was a limited amount of sets of wheels that were made. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people would get raw for them or jack for them. So it would be very hard to buy them. So to even buy, find something to buy was tough. So you find them, you buy them, and then you find out, oh, they stole them from somebody else. And you buy somebody stolen rims. Shit. So you know, we we even back then when we buying foes, we had to be we had to do our due diligence to make sure these hoes wasn't stolen. Cause if we pull out, if we all of a sudden we pull out on foes, they like, well, where you get them from? 
because everybody know there's only you know 20 set 30 sets of uh, swingers around you know what i'm saying mm. but it's, it's the same way with the jury man shit you got to do your due diligence yeah we live in a high-tech world that's for sure fuck um all right so the new project yes sir dropping soon yeah man april 8th uh you know start to finish paul named the album that and, uh, you know, I'm assuming he named it that because he liked all the music start to finish. Of course, yeah. You know it. <laughs> Ooh, we got Nems on here. Yeah. That's your boy? Life. That's yeah. my dog. Fuck Nems yeah. is my dog. I've been making music with Nems since 2014. So, you know, I'm real happy to see, it, you know, his come up. It's crazy to see him get so much attention from just being, like, the realest New Yorker the you real ever him. met in your life. Yeah. the real him, bro. Yeah. I call him. I call him, be like, yo, what you want? Fuck your life. Yeah. It's like... That he's not turning it on for the camera. That's fuck really, your life. I, I remember him saying "fuck your life" because he fucked with some of these BMX dudes that yeah. I was a huge fan of, and that was probably 2008. He yeah. was banging that That's shit. That's the shit. Nems, yeah, Nems is the man, bro. Shout out yeah. to Nems. We we happy that he's popping. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Big bump. Fire. Uh, anything else we need to keep an eye out for? Nah, I just want to shout out the Good Dad Gang, man. You know, if you're out there, man, take care of your kids, man. Be present in your kids' life, and you know what I'm saying. It's it's always good to be a good parent. For sure. Yeah, for sure. That's a fact. Shout out to my boy TV Johnny. What's up, baby? <laughs> my boy Johnny Dane. What yeah, it do? How's he doing? He's doing living his best life. He really is. Oh man, yeah, he's doing great, man. He's Shout out to here my in the boy field. Johnny. Yeah, man, he stays busy, man. He's always on the grind, doing something innovative. You know what I'm saying? Just bringing some jewelry wise. He loves his job too, man. And this is just what it's all about, man. Finding something you love to do, and man, and just going all in on it, man. So shout out to my boy Johnny Dane. That's a fact. Appreciate both of you guys. Thanks yeah. so much for coming through. Thanks for having us, bro. Yeah, so Terminology, Paul Wall, No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, Instagram, all that shit. Like, comment, and subscribe. Nojumper.com if you want to support. Appreciate y'all. Yes, sir. Yeah. That was fire, bro. Oh, yeah.